Hello and welcome to a special edition of The Right Idea, where we discuss the people, policy, and politics that drive Texas. I'm your host, Brian Phillips. I'm the Chief Communications Officer at the Texas Public Policy Foundation. Uh, and today we're, we're doing this special episode just because it's going on right now. This issue is happening right now. Uh, and it's the issue of gender modification of children. And that, that we, we know that Texas recently passed a law, SB 14, and we're going to remind you all what that, what that law does and what it is. But it's been being challenged in the courts. They just had oral arguments on it. Uh, here in Texas. And so we've, we've brought together our policy expert and our litigation expert uh, to talk about that issue today so we can get the information out to the people as fast as possible. So I will introduce those two individuals right now. Uh, to my direct left is Andrew Brown. Andrew kind of led the charge on the policy side of this for, for the Texas Public Policy Foundation. Uh, he is our vice president of policy. And uh, to his left, we have Chance Weldon. He is the director of litigation. He is the one who wrote the, the amicus brief uh, in this case. And so so um, I, most of our audience, uh, Andrew, will know kind of what this issue is. It's SB 14. It's the preventing the, the gender modification of children. But let's just go back through because I think it's been you know several months that that uh, legislation passed during the regular session, which seems like many moons ago, years ago, right now. years and years <laughs> ago. And so and of course, thank you both for, for help for being on the show uh, today. But yeah, so many moons ago, we passed that legislation. Almost immediately, the ACLU and those folks on the left said they were going to challenge it. And so here we are today. But let's let's go back first and, and talk about the legislation itself and tell us specifically what it did when it passed. Yeah, so Senate Bill 14 was actually the product of several sessions worth of work. The seeds were actually planted um, during the 87th legislative session with uh, Representative Matt Krauss authoring a bill. Now, the issue hadn't yet tipped into public consciousness. In a lot of ways, Representative Krauss was ahead of the game with trying to restrict the provision of medical procedures and surgeries uh, that alter the sex traits of children to enable them to present as a sex other than what they were born mm -hmm. as. Um, you know, like I said, it wasn't yet ripe for the legislature to act. Uh, but then leading up to the 88th, that issue tipped. Mm -hmm. It took on a whole new life. Uh, the public learned more about what radical doctors and radical transgender activists were doing to children who are struggling with a very real and very painful mental health disorder. Mm -hmm. And they were rightfully shocked and outraged by it. And that spurred a movement within the legislature to protect kids from this radical gender ideology. Right. This was something that was kind of happening in California or New York or Illinois or some of these really super blue states. Right. And they never thought maybe that this was going on right under our noses right here in Texas. Right. And a lot of those uh, clinics in Texas were exposed during that time. And people realized, oh, this is happening in Houston. It's happening in Dallas. Mm -hmm. It's happening at children's hospitals by doctors who we trust mm -hmm. to safeguard the health and well-being of our children. And like I said, people were rightfully shocked and outraged by that. And so the legislature started struggling with, well, how do you stop this? Mm -hmm. How do you prevent kids from being experimented on by doctors? And there were a number of different proposals on the table, and that's where the Texas Public Policy Foundation stepped in uh, because of our record on protecting kids, our record on defending parental rights. Um, we were able to come forward and say, we need to attack the source. And the source is the radical transgender activists and more specifically the radical doctors who have bought into essentially snake oil science mm -hmm. um, and are profiting 
off of the pain of children who are struggling with their identities. Mm -hmm. Um, And so the bill that we worked with the legislature on SB 14 essentially says if you are a medical professional and you provide these medications or these surgical procedures to a child for the purpose of enabling that child to present as the opposite sex, you've committed a prohibited medical practice in the state of Texas, and you are going to lose your license to practice medicine in the state. And, um, uh, you know, we're, we're not above shameless promotion here at, uh, at The Right Idea, as everybody knows, um, as our listeners know. There's a fantastic uh, interview that you did with uh, the, the Senate sponsor and the House sponsor. Yeah, Senator Donna Campbell uh, in the Senate and Representative Tom Oliverson in the House, both medical doctors. They were the exact right people to lead the charge mm-hmm. on this because of their expertise. They did an absolutely phenomenal job carrying what I think was one of the most important bills of the 88th legislature. If you want to run back and, and look at that, it's in a series that we call The Layout with, with Andrew uh, leading that that discussion. It's fantastic. So thanks for that overview a little bit. So the legislation passed, and like I said, Chance, uh, you know, almost immediately the, 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 the legal forces came out. The, who was ACLU? Somebody almost immediately said, hey, we're going to challenge this bill in court. Yeah, almost immediately you had a, a group of, of doctors and a few parents parents that have filed a lawsuit uh, challenging it. Uh, they, of course, chose to challenge it in uh, Travis County, where they knew they had a <laughs> surprise, a, surprise, a favorable district court <laughs> and, uh, and and immediately tried to get the law enjoined. Um, mm-hmm. The arguments that they raised were largely that um, they had the right to to force these procedures on their children. And the doctors, in that case, they claimed had a, a property right, strangely enough, mm-hmm. um, to actually provide these sorts of controversial mm-hmm. and dangerous medical treatments. And not to get too much in the weeds here, but I mean, a lot of times these laws, you know, they, they need to be implemented first, right? They right. need to be, you know, something that has to happen where somebody goes to the, the clinic and they're prevented from, you know, getting the procedure or something like that. No, nothing like that happened. Is there an issue with standing here with some of these groups or, or what are they contesting or what are they saying is, you know, what are they contesting here? Well, no, I don't think there'd be an issue with standing with these particular groups because what they what they are in these cases are people that are subject to the regulation okay. so they came in and said the regulation the doctors, hasn't the, they're doctors and yeah. stuff but there's no question that these doctors would be subject to the regulation in fact the state of texas doesn't even argue that in fact they would not be subject to these regulations mm-hmm. um, now doctors are already regulated and can't provide a number of procedures that are dangerous to patients which is mm-hmm. a whole different question as to the merits of their claims but certainly they are regulated parties in this case. Uh, now, Andrew, going back to the, the the debate on this, the political legislative debate, um, where were where are Texans on this issue? Like, where? I mean, you know, during the time, I mean, you said that there was sort of an evolution in this mm-hmm. legislation. There was certainly a tipping point. Certainly, the 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 woke stuff had been happening over the last right. two or three. I don't even know what to call it. The the indoctrination, and all that, with our K through twelve, and this is kind of you know the whole trans issues, kind of part and parcel to that. Um, but where were you know where, where did you see uh, yeah. shifting attitudes? about about Texans on this particular issue. It was amazing to watch Texans' eyes being opened to this issue because we really did get to see that in real time. Um, Like I said at the beginning, this was something that was happening under the radar. The public really didn't know that this was happening. And then over the course of a year or two, all of a sudden the curtain gets pulled back Mm -hmm. and people see the monster behind the curtain. Mm. And the more they learned about what was being done to children, the more they supported stopping it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think we did some initial polling at the very beginning of our efforts on SB 14, and about 42% of Texans said they supported a law that would restrict these practices in some way. Mm-hmm. The more we educated the public about 
the procedures themselves, what was being done, what it entailed, and then the solution of preventing doctors mm -hmm. from doing this and actually penalizing doctors who provide these prohibited medical practices to children, the more Texans agreed with us. Within one year, we had about a 14-point swing mm. in public opinion. So we went from 42% to about 56% of Texans supporting it. And what was really interesting about that is we did our own polling through TPPF, but the University of Houston did polling on the exact same issue, and our numbers were virtually identical. Do you um, see? Uh, do you see other states? We talk about trends around the country. Uh, do you see other states are having to deal with these same issues, and are they addressing them the same way? About twenty-two states, by my last count, have a bill or have laws in place that are similar to Senate Bill fourteen. Mm -hmm. Now they take different approaches, but more often than not, it is the approach of. You're prohibiting doctors. Some states have taken it to a step further and criminalized the doctors, um, but most states are looking at the licensing and regulatory uh, component of what we did with SB 14. And I assume, Chase, uh, sorry, Chance, that um, that all of the these states are going to have legal um, uh, contests as well. Many of them already do. Uh, mm -hmm. many, some of them have already. Some of these laws have already been, I think, rightly upheld. The Sixth mm -hmm. Circuit Court of Appeals, United States Court of Appeals for the Sixth Circuit, already uh, upheld. A, uh, what state was that? Tennessee and Kentucky. Tennessee and Kentucky's uh, laws, very similar laws to the ones that were passed here. So now fast forward to our challenge here, and it was this week that they had an uh, oral argument. Uh, tell us, you know, which court's it in, how, how far down the line is it? Because I know a lot of these things, you know, it takes a while before it gets to the Texas Supreme Court and then yeah. maybe even needs to go to the U.S. Supreme Court sometimes. Uh, so kind of tell us where we are in all of that uh, so, process. So we are already at the Texas Supreme Court, and uh, Texas has a relatively recent uh, procedure that was changed, I believe, the last legislative session, uh, that when a state law is enjoined, uh, the state of Texas can appeal that directly to the Texas Supreme Court and get that immediately decided on by the Texas Supreme Court. Uh, prior to that, you had to go through the district court and then through the Court of Appeals, and mm -hmm. these injunctions would remain in place sometimes for years as the, the wheels of justice sort of uh, rolled through. But now uh, Texas was able to appeal this immediately to the Texas Supreme Court. The Texas Supreme Court asked for briefing. It asked for amicus briefs. We mm -hmm. all filed briefs in the case, and it was argued this week. And so the you, other interesting thing about that procedure with the law that Chance mentioned, when you file that appeal, when the state files that appeal directly to the state Supreme Court, it basically pauses the injunction. And so the moment Texas appealed up to the state Supreme Court on the injunction that was issued by the liberal Travis County District Court, SB 14 went into effect. Okay, so it is the law of the land, even though it's going through the courts today. Yep. Okay, good. Thank you for bringing that up. Very good point. So we've kind of gone through kind of the left's argument about why they think it's uh, unconstitutional. What's obviously the, the constitutional legal argument uh, from our side? I mean, really, you know, the, the easiest argument in this case is, is twofold. First, doctors, it, the, the practice of medicine um, has been regulated in Texas since the 1830s. It's been regulated since before there was actually a Texas constitution. Um, and while you do have a right to earn a living uh, protected by the Texas constitution, to practice a trade, to have a license, uh, to feed your family, you've never had the right uh, to to perform any procedure you want on someone else's body. The state's always had an interest in protecting children from harmful activities. I think mm -hmm. um, their argument in this case that somehow doctors have a fundamental right to perform whatever sorts of harmful procedures they want simply because they have a medical license would be like, you know, Sweeney Todd uh, <laughs> waving his barber's license around to say that he can't be charged for murder for, you know, cutting people up. Mm -hmm. it, when, you're, when you're messing with someone's, someone else's body, 
Um, and this this goes back to cases going back to the you know 1830s, 1840s, 1850s. That's something different. You just don't have a liberty interest mm-hmm. that's that absolute when it comes to other people's bodies. Um, and and so why did, specifically did did TPPF want to get involved in this case? Yeah, so that's an interesting question. So um, ordinarily, we think that the, the state of Texas you know, w- wouldn't need our help in this case, <laughs> uh, defending this law, because we think the law is obviously constitutional. Um, but the state of Texas made what we thought was a, a wrong and interesting argument in defense of the law, which was not only is this law constitutional because the procedures that are regulated don't infringe on parental rights, which we don't think that they do, um, but that in fact, the Texas Constitution doesn't protect parental rights at all. Hmm. Um, this was the argument of the Texas Attorney General. Now, we think, of course, that is wrong <laughs> as a, an, as an original matter. And so our briefing in the case was focused on the original public meaning of the Texas Constitution and the more than century of Texas precedent that protects parental rights as a fundamental right. And uh, we thought that was an important thing to have in front of the court uh, so that they could uphold the law, mm-hmm. um, but do it the right way. Yeah, we certainly don't want to. I mean, I, I just think that's an, and that obviously is an interesting uh, constitutional argument, and it's certainly not something that most people would think would come from from the conservative side. You know, we especially when we talk about issues of school choice, and mm-hmm. you know, all, I mean, just yeah. basically anything is a, a God given right, right, Andrew, to to be a parent and and to determine the best thing for your child. Right, and this is a little bit of a nerdy policy conversation. And well, historical that's what we do here. This is who, exactly who our audience is, <laughs> but. Parental rights and the Texas Public Policy Foundation has been a leader in the state and the nation on this. They are a fundamentally protected constitutional rights. They are expansive, right? The government has to have a very, very good reason before they can come in and tell a parent, you are allowed to do these things when you raise your children and you're not allowed to do these things. Now, obviously, as with any rights, there are limits on those rights. Mm -hmm. You know, we see that most often in CPS. As a parent, you don't have the right to abuse your children, and the state has an interest to come in and protect that child when that child is being abused. Um, and so when you actually get into the philosophy and the history surrounding parental rights, mm-hmm. you know, these are rights that are endowed by our creator. They predate the state. Mm-hmm. Um, they're not bestowed upon us by the state. Um, however, those rights are fundamentally rooted in the duties parents owe to their children. Right. Children are the ultimate beneficiaries of parental rights and the relationship with their parents. And so what are the parents' duties? The parents' duties are to educate their child, provide for their care and upbringing, raise them in a moral and religious tradition that will benefit them and prepare them to be productive, successful members of society. And when a parent, and just we're going to clip that and just use that as a great definition, right? That's fantastic. Have you been practicing that one? I have. I've said that a lot. <laughs> but when a parent oversteps and violates that duty that is incumbent upon them by their relationship and by their role as a parent, that's when you see the limits of what we call parental rights coming into play. Like Chance said earlier, mm-hmm. you don't have a right to harm another person. You don't have a right to mess with another person's body. You know, it's a very clear line in those cases. Now, some of those lines uh, are the subject of litigation and can get a little bit blurry mm-hmm. when it comes to, well, what's the right decision? You're right. right. And, and so, Chance, I was going to ask you, you know, well, the left would say, well, this is about health care. This is about the rights of a parent to determine, you know, what's best or, you know, for their kid in terms of health care. Well, I think there are two things about that. First, um, you know, this came up actually at oral argument and uh, Justice, uh, Justice Blacklock actually brought this up that 
traditionally, this is not what would be considered healthcare. Mm-hmm. Healthcare, since time immemorial, as we ordinarily understand that term, is actually restoring the body to its original function, right? And here, <laughs> another great definition, right? And to... <laughs> here you're doing something that is that is not traditional healthcare. And as a matter of fact, it's not approved uh, by any of the the regulatory agencies that ordinarily would would uh, regulate healthcare mm-hmm. because since again, since time immemorial. Um, the the healthcare is restoring original bodily functions, not mm-hmm. uh, manipulating bodily functions the way that these procedures do. So you mentioned uh, oral argument. I want to get in there and get both of your opinions because I'm sure you know as as the the head of our litigation, as the head of our policy, you're probably were thinking through different lenses. So I want to kind of jump in and jump through those lenses with you. Let's start with the legal side of things uh, in terms of the arguments that were made and the or and the questions that were asked. Yeah. That's always the very interesting part, right? Is when is when you start to get a little insight in what the Supreme Court justices. Mm-hmm think by the fact that they're asking certain questions. Uh, so from the legal side of it, uh, Chance, what did you what did you think of oral argument? I think that the justices were exactly where we would want them to be focused. Mm-hmm. Um, what they were wrestling with, I think, uh, a little bit was, you know, the Texas Supreme Court has rightly for century, for over a century, recognized parental rights as a fundamental right. Mm-hmm. And how to basically unpack that and unwind that um, uh, according to the facts of this case uh, and the way that it overlaps with the practice of medicine and where the state's been able to regulate medicine and where the state's been able to regulate doctors. Hmm. Um, I think it's interesting because there were some questions that I think went directly to the heart of our brief um, without referencing it specifically by name, <laughs> although we have actually got a shout out for an oral argu- argument from the Texas Supreme Court in another case. But um, I think it really showed where I think we added value to the case because, you know, the Texas Attorney General came in there as lawyers representing a client. And sometimes as a result of that, they'll make very aggressive arguments to represent the state of Texas because they just want the state of Texas to win. Mm. And that's how you ended up with an argument about, well, there are no parental rights and that's why we win. And the court pressed them on that. And so thankfully we were there in the background because we're actually looking at the bigger picture and Mm -hmm. saying, how do you preserve this law in a way that doesn't disrupt parental rights. So, so you know, the, uh, as they say, there's there's nothing you can't accomplish if you don't care who gets the credit. So yeah. if they want to use our ideas as their own and not give us credit, by, by more power to them. Um, uh, Andrew, from the policy side, was there anything that surprised you or anything that you thought maybe um, would give a glimpse that uh, maybe you saw it a different way than Chance did? No, <laughs> I largely agree with Chance's take on it. Um, from the policy standpoint, yeah, there was conversation around you know, the medical side of this, whether or not this is acceptable medical Mm -hmm. care for children. Um, And I think the justices, for the most part, are with us on that. And they Mm -hmm. understand that these procedures are experimental. What the drugs that they're giving the kids for these purposes are not approved by the FDA for these purposes. Um, And even countries in Europe are moving away from providing these medications and procedures to children because they've been doing it a lot longer than we have in the United Mm -hmm. States. Mm -hmm. And they've seen the harm that's coming from these practices. And interestingly enough, there are a number of European countries, the United Kingdom, for example, have actually criticized the way the United States medical establishment is pushing forward so aggressively um, with what they call the affirmation model of the child identifies and it's immediately medicalization, right? That's too aggressive for liberal European countries, mm-hmm. and they think we're insane uh, for going that route. <laughs> um, and so there was some conversation around whether or not these are truly accepted. And I, one of the good things that came out of that, and I thought the attorney general's office did a really good job of pointing this out, mm-hmm. is 
the other side often says, well, every medical major, major medical organization in the country says that this is life-saving, necessary um, health care. The American Medical Association, the Pediatric Society, and then a few more radical groups um, like a group called WPATH, the World Professional Transgender Health Association, mm -hmm. I think is mm -hmm. what that stands for, um, which is a radical um, organization. Not even all doctors are part of that organization. Mm -hmm. um, they have activists, journalists, um, you know, social workers. You don't have to be a medical professional mm -hmm. to be part of that organization. They're arguing, well, all of these major credible medical associations agree. The attorney general's office rightfully pointed out they're captured ideologically. There has been a decades-long campaign among the woke left to get their people into leadership of these organizations and to turn them toward political purposes rather than their true purposes, which is to mm -hmm. safeguard the healthcare system and the practice of medicine. So these organizations that people think, oh, we can trust them, they're entirely run by activists with a political agenda who could care less about whether or not people are getting the best medical care possible. Well, I agree. It is. It is. It can be largely political. Uh, political. Let's not forget the good old money, right? Like, right. There's a financial interest for some of these folks who are. You know, these are essentially trade associations. Um, uh, you know, and there's good old fashioned money involved here with people spending tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of dollars over a lifetime to have these procedures done over and over again to get these medications and and all of that so um you know not to be too cynical but there is obviously a financial um, interest interest and, for people yeah. to want to support this and you know and justice busby i thought made a really good point during oral argument pushing the advocate for the doctors on this issue whenever they brought up the idea about well it's been approved by the doctors it's been approved by you know medical boards and and he he asked i thought it was a very good question well what if the doctor and the parents got together and they decided that their kid was in poor health and therefore the doctor should engage in physician-assisted suicide? Should they just kill the child? Right. And would there be anything that the state could do to stop them under their theory from mm -hmm. just killing children? You know, 13, 14, 15-year-old children. I, I'm, I'm waiting with bated breath to see how and they answer the question. There was, she couldn't give a clear answer. No, of course not. She couldn't give a clear yeah. answer. She said, well, you'd have to take it on a case-by-case -case basis. She couldn't give a clear <laughs> answer as to whether or not the state could stop doctors from killing children, something they can't even do with adults. Right. And that, this, to me, this... was the most shocking moment. And, you know, you try to keep a poker face in court, and I was, you know, fighting my own face <laughs> to not, like, have my jaw <laughs> drop. Because in my mind, I'm thinking, is she getting ready to say... Yes. Physician-assisted suicide for kids is okay for healthy kids, right? Yeah. Like, I mean, at least for you know, some people who want to take their own life, it's because they have you know terminal illness or something like that. I mean, they to the, your example. Yeah. It's also funny. Was this the this per this this litigator's first time in front of the Supreme Court? Because the hypothetical questions are what justices do. <laughs> like, uh, you know, there, you can't sit up there and say, well, I, you know, you could literally answer that question any of their questions on a case by case basis. Well, that's not what we do here. We do hypotheticals. I, you, how long have you been a lawyer? I think a lot of times when you have, you know, they get they. Get get sort of boxed in by the institutional interest of their clients mm -hmm. right so sure. if, if you're if you're representing you know to use the term earlier you know woke clients or left-wing clients or you know people that are involved in the transgender movement then you have certain things that you can't concede even if that would make you seem more reasonable in front of the texas supreme right, court right um <clears throat> such as the uh, such as our legal system. So I will ask you then, because we like to you know we like to do predictions here. Uh, you know I'll ask you first, uh, Chance. What is your what is your prediction in terms of how this case comes out? 
Um, I think SB 14 will be upheld. I think it will be upheld by an overwhelming majority of the Texas Supreme Court. I think there's a potential that we could have uh, some of the more uh, parental rights focused members of the Texas Supreme Court branch off and write a separate concurring opinion where they trumpet how much they care about parental rights, mm -hmm. but the, it doesn't cover this issue. So this could even go further and be more helpful in, in maybe other cases that don't have necessarily to do with yeah, this, this I think subject. That, I think you could have the court really opine on that. Uh, Andrew, while we have just a couple minutes left, I'm going to assume that you agree with Chance yes. on that, but I will ask you, let's say something goes awry. Mm -hmm. Let's say that somehow they end up finding some kind of legal uh, pathway and they invalidate uh, SB 14. What would be the option open for lawmakers then in the next session? Because this isn't going to go away. Right. This is an issue that Texans, obviously a majority of, uh, are now uh, supportive of. You've got a majority of, of lawmakers, obviously, and, and obviously the governor's uh, supportive of this issue. So this is not something that they would just throw up their hands and say, okay, well, I guess we did the wrong thing. Let's move on. There would, there would almost certainly be an effort to go back to the drawing board and figure out how we yeah. can protect kids what would what do you think something like that would look like or what kind of process do you think would you'd see and this is going to sound a little bit like the lawyer answer but it it depends and it depends, depends on, on how they actually, on how will, they yeah, actually sure. would uh, yeah, take it on a case the by law. Case we'll take that on a case-by-case case basis. <laughs> um, but the opinion should give us the reasoning why mm -hmm, the mm -hmm. Supreme Court says it's unconstitutional in the unlikely event that that happens. What that would then enable lawmakers to do is to take that opinion and craft new legislation that avoids those landmines. Mm -hmm. It'll be... Um, probably more limited legislation um, in the way that we go about it. But should that happen, the Texas Public Policy Foundation will be immediately on, <laughs> on top crafting that bill. And you know, one of the things that we were very careful to do when we were originally crafting Senate Bill 14, because we knew they were going to sue as soon as this thing got signed into law. Mm -hmm. And so we were doing the best we could to litigation proof the language of the bill. Um, so if we have to go back to the drawing board and further litigation proof it, we will, but I don't think we'll have to do that. Can, I think it'll I make, be up Can I make a comment yeah, yeah. on that real quick? So, you know, I sue the government for a living. Like, that's <laughs> that's all I do. Like, If you do say so yourself. Yeah, yeah. Tw 12 years of, of mostly nonstop suing the government. And I remember the when we first started working on this amicus brief, um, and I looked at the actual legislation, one of the first things I did, because I didn't know at the time that Andrew had worked on it, and I remember I kind of paged him from the office like, this is really well-written legislation. <laughs> like somebody, like somebody, their legal team really did a good job litigation proofing this. Because not all legislation is that clean. That's and right. it was a really exceptionally crafted piece mm -hmm. of legislation to protect it from exactly these sorts of So challenges. in a similar way that other states can learn from uh, well-crafted um, uh, legislation, what about uh, litigation? What about wins? Does this, if you, let's say on the positive side, yeah. if this goes the way that we want it to go, and I know it's the Supreme Court of Texas, so that doesn't necessarily mean anything mm -hmm. for those states, but does that sort of serve as kind of a guidepost? If this is one of the first cases, and I tell me if it is or not, I, I believe it's one of the first cases that would have been decided uh, on this issue. Does that help other states, or does there, do other courts look at that it, and say, yeah, that's probably the way we should go 100 percent, because the texas constitution is actually more protective of individual liberty than the united states constitution it's more protective hell yeah yeah it's more <laughs> sorry protective. i just felt like they needed i need to hell yeah texas on forever we're gonna let, let that go it is it is it is substantially more protective in in a, in a whole host of ways than many other state constitutions so if it can survive a challenge under the texas constitution then i think that that's the type of precedent that will have broader implications for states around the country and would they give us credit 
No, of course not. <laughs> no, okay. All right. Well, again, you know, there's nothing you can't accomplish. We don't care who gets the credit. All right. Well, Chance, Andrew, thank you so much for being on the special edition of The Right Idea. Thank you. We appreciate you being here. We wanted to get the word out. We couldn't wait till next week. You know, we did we did this without Derek, um, so uh, which I'm sure he's okay about. Uh, but we wanted to get the word out because the oral argument happened. I knew this was a special mm-hmm. issue, so we wanted to make sure that we gave it the proper urgency that it needed. So thank you all for being yeah. here. And thank you for listening. Thank you for watching. And as, li- as we always like to say, do good and risk the consequences. We'll see you next time.